Welcome to episode two of this week in conversation podcast. Uh, had the great and powerful uh, Zach Lang on the podcast this week. We recorded this podcast on Friday, or this past Friday, uh, which was St. Patrick's Day. So hope everybody had a great St. Patrick's weekend or day, however long it lasted for you, and everybody got home safe. Um, great conversation with Zach. Uh, we chatted about a whole bunch of things in, in terms of his path and and embracing the grind and his idols and the state of journalism and uh, you know really good really good chat. Had a good long chat. Um, like I said in the very first episode, we're going uh, you know we're going through this as as things go here. So there were a few technical glitches and I was a kind of a meathead and forgot to. Uh, turn my phone on to airplane mode so i do apologize in advance for the uh the couple of vibration noises i think for a few texts and i'll blame those texts on uh, john molina um but no he had a, we had a great chat and and was uh really happy to have zach on so um without further ado we'll we'll get things going here zach welcome thank you very much brandon glad to have you here we're sitting in my kitchen uh, well, kind of dining area, I guess you want to call it that. Glad to be here in your beautiful, humble abode. <laughs> so congr- first off, congratulations. That's uh, on the new job of the Airdrie Echo. If you get full-time work in, in an industry that's ma- facing major changes is something pretty dr- – or it's, it's got to be big for you, especially considering, like you said, you were just in school not that long ago, right? So Yeah. Thank you very much, first of all. Uh, it's definitely quite exciting for me. It's going to be a great new opportunity. It's – going to be something I'm not entirely well-versed in. I'll be covering uh, all the local town news and town council and stuff. And as you may know, I've been a sports guy my whole life up until this point. But as you said, I'm just very excited to be working uh, for Post Media, especially given all the layoffs and the cuts and everything that's been coming to them. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky to have this opportunity. So, And the good thing is, too, is that it's not going to detract from any of the sports stuff that I do. So which is nice. Yeah, which yeah. is really nice. So um, still going to be working for the Nation Network, doing all the news sports stuff there and then uh, hopefully next year get back to Canmore and continue to call games up there as well. Right so um, just kind of get into like what so what do you do for the Nation Network uh, and then we'll get into the, the Canmore stuff so what, what's your kind of responsibilities with the Nation Network? Uh, I'm a, the news director of the Nation Network so I manage content on six or seven different websites there for them. I'd all started working I worked for Weathers Nation at first last July they brought me on to write news content and then it just slowly developed into this role, and so they created a new job for me and, and gave me that title. So it's exciting to be able to uh, pay some bills with writing about sports and stuff like that. So yeah. the role is kind of evolving every day, um, new expectations every day, new things every day. So it's really exciting to kind of have this uh, opportunity, and we're hoping in the future to be able to build a news team underneath me and working with some other great guys, Jacob Stoller and Cam Lewis, who are helping out with some of the new stuff right now for me. and. Yeah, it's a really exciting times with it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then this this year you, you started with the Camor Eagles and the AJHL. Uh, for people that don't know, it's the Alberta Junior Hockey League, Tier 2 out here in Alberta. Um, kind of how was that this year and, and what was the – where was the genesis of that? You know, because obviously you're coming in the first time doing – because you're doing play-by-play, right? Yeah. So where was the genesis of that and then how was that this year? Well, it all kind of started working in uh, – last summer I interned out in Banff at the Craig and Canyon – as part of the Post Media Network, and towards the end of the summer, the end of my internship, I did a couple stories on the Eagles. They made a few moves in the off season. They traded Riley Rissling out to the BCHL for Brett Stewart, a uh, big 20-year-old defenseman to bring in for the season. And um, 
I was chatting with Andrew Milne, the head coach and GM of the team, and he had found out that at the time I was going to return to school for radio broadcasting, which I've now withdrawn from. And uh, he kind of said, hey, well, we're looking for some play-by-play guys. Would you be interested in coming out? I said, yeah, you bet. So I paired up with the editor of the Craig and Canyon, who I worked with all summer, and him and I jumped at it, and we had no idea <laughs> what the hell we were doing yeah. at first. Um, the first dozen or so calls were just um, totally scrambly, totally trying to get our feet wet and figure it out. Uh, he called the play-by-plays. I did the color commentary. Okay. I pinch hit it a couple times on some play-by-plays and stuff like that, which is a lot of fun, but difficult. My yeah. first, funny enough, my first solo play-by-play broadcast, uh, no joke, the game lasted about three and a half hours. Oh. It was just a, a penalty-filled Throw game. you right in the fire. Oh, it was just, <laughs> it was an experience and a half. But right. I was really lucky to have the opportunity to get out there and work with them. Um, I mean, it was a great experience. We had a great regular season. It was a ton of fun watching... Guys like Matt Forchuk, Logan Ferguson, Brian Saretsky just light up the AJHL and scoring. And, you know, especially with Forchuk and Fergie, they're both heading to NCAA schools next fall. Uh, Div 1, Holy Cross, and Quinnipiac, respectively. So it's going to be unfortunate that I won't be able to watch them anymore. But it's cool to have to met them and be able to, to cover them for a year. Right, right. And so you're, you're gonna, you are going to be returning next year for to do the play-by-play in, 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 some, in some aspect? Well, that's the hope. That's yeah. the hope. I mean... With the new job with the Echo, I have no idea what to expect with it. Right. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty heavy workload for me, but at the same time, they're kind of giving me some freedom in terms of scheduling myself for when I can and can't work, and they give me the ability to work from home a lot, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully it'll be able to free up some time for me to be able to still get out there as much as I can. Right, right. So, um, and as well... Um, like in terms of the in terms of the play-by-play, because I did play-by-play once mm-hmm. when I was interning. I interned with the Trenton Golden Hawks in the OJHL for probably about eight months, roughly. Right. And I did one night. And I had to pinch hit, and I'd never done it before. And I did color. I didn't do play-by-play. I did color. What was that kind of like? Well, like not that welcome to the, that kind of like welcome to the NHL moment where you kind of realize like other than I know you said you, the first game was a long, you know, long ass game, but yeah, what was your kind of like? Oh crap! I'm you know you got however many people listening to me. The first day, the first game we called doing color commentary, you know we didn't really have a whole lot of people listening. We were some, we do our broadcast through hockey TV, so it's twenty two dollars a month. So you know we're we're not really broadcasting to a whole lot of people. But that's really wasn't wasn't what it was about for me. It was about getting that sort of experience doing the play by play. Yeah, the first game for me was just kind of surreal. You know, um, trying to figure out how to call the game, how to call color commentary. I've listened to a lot of play-by-plays just from watching hockey and listening to games on 6:30. Ched, you know, I'm an Oilers fan. Um, so, you know, for myself, I, I learned a lot from picking up from guys like Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer who call the Oilers games on the radio, and and just you know other guys uh, like Louis DeBrusque is one of my favorite color commentators. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does just such a fantastic job in breaking down the plays and explaining what's happening in layman's terms. I think that's what's most important is to be able to, yeah, you know, there's going to be people that understand hockey that are watching the games, but, you know, a lot of the people that are watching it maybe don't understand the intricacies around the game or, you know, why does X player do this when he's out on the ice or right. why didn't X player do that when he's out on the ice? And I think what was fun for me too was like, trying to be able to convey that to people, mm-hmm. you know, so people who were just listening to the games, even if they didn't have the video there, they could still understand and, and catch on to what was going on if they knew the dimensions of a rink and 
where everything sat and laid. Yeah. So you're really illustrating kind of you're you're acting as if there is no camera feed, right? Totally. Like you're like the people or someone that's blind that's watching or can't see what's going on. That mm-hmm. I think that's like you talked about. You look at you know other broadcasters, and it's interesting you mentioned that, but um, you know how they. Because you know, the, I would say the, some of the greatest either play-by-play color guys are probably radio guys, mm-hmm. just because you have to do such a good job of relaying what's going on out there because people can't see that, right? Yep. And you know, and that's kind of almost it's kind of a dying art because there really is not a lot of ho- hockey on the radio anymore. It's not like it was 60 years ago, right? Totally. So, but the, to get back to on, on the the interesting part I, I find that you said was that you kind of went and listened to a lot of the guys that you grew up listening to or that you really enjoyed listening to. Because for me, with this project, I did a lot of the same thing. You know, right. I, I've always been a podcast. For the last three or so years, I've listened, that's pretty much all I listen to other than all the odd music. But it's just a lot of podcasts. You listen to guys like Joe Rogan and Jonah Carey and you know Jeff Merrick and Greg Wyshynski. Not to, not to name drop or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, um, it's interesting to say what was the – and I guess there's always this uh, confliction that you don't want to, you want to take parts of their stuff, parts of what they do, but you don't want to copy them. Mm-hmm. Did you have that same kind of battle? Yes and no. I mean, I kind of tried to just, you know, listen to them, listen to how they told the stories of the games and stuff like that. I look at a guy like Jack Michael, I don't know if you've ever listened to any of his calls before, but he's very, very high energy. And that's kind of what I enjoyed about his broadcast is, you know, when, you know, Connor McDavid's coming in on a breakaway, you get excited because you hear him getting excited. Um, for myself, it was a little tough doing kind of color commentary stuff to try and really bring that level of excitement. And the guy who I was calling the games with, who was doing play-by-play, is kind of with a bit of a, a softer voice, a quieter voice. So for me, I really wanted to try and contrast that by bringing some excitement in when I was giving the analysis of what just happened on the play or, or something like that. And I think that's something that's very important to be able to do to be able to tell that story and to be able to give people that sort of visual of it all, right? Mm-hmm. So to kind of switch gears here, uh, let's start way back. What was the decision, the conscious decision to get into journalism? Did it was it kind of right away, or was it you went through a couple, did a couple different things, and realized I hate this stuff, and realized this is what I want to do, and then from there, you know, because it was how how long ago was it that you were in school? I, well, I just graduated last May. Yeah. So, so and I mean, it was a two-year program, so yeah. it's been a really quick turnover. Um, for myself, growing up, I played football my whole life, yeah. and I watched hockey. Um, believe it or not, I don't even know how to skate. Um, but I played football growing up, and then in grade 11, my final year of community football, I ended up with a really bad concussion and whiplash, and it really changed my life because it changed the mindset that I had at the time. You know, I wanted to be involved in football for the rest of my life, whether it was coaching or playing or et cetera, et cetera. And then I kind of found this passion for writing out of nowhere. Um, Excuse me. I had a couple of buddies up in Edmonton who had started up this little goofy hockey blog called Jean Shorts and Bagged Milk Revolution. And I knew them through the, through the grapevine. And um, they said, hey, man, I, I sent them a message one day. They said, hey, you know, are you guys looking for a writer? Like, I want to try writing. And... I really kind of started to realize slowly that I was like, okay, wow, I can get paid to watch sports for the rest of my life. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of started to, you know, uh, get more into writing, writing more often and writing more heavily, different types of writing. 
Um, for a while, I really broke into the analytics scene as it was kind of becoming hot because I was like, well, you know, let's learn something that not a lot of people know about. And then, yeah, um, I graduated high school. I took a year off and just worked a bunch of really crappy jobs. <laughs> and I was actually working at a golf course in Calgary in the wintertime digging sand traps like 30 below oh. from like seven in the morning till yeah. three in the afternoon. And it just, and it was funny because all the guys I worked with were all like 60, 70 year old guys who like spent all of the money they ever made in their lives and had to work this like horrible job in 30 below just to like make ends meet. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I really realized that that wasn't what I wanted to be when I was older. You know, I wanted to be able to get into a career that I was going to enjoy for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, it wasn't something that I was going to be like, oh, I hate going to work. Yeah. You know, now I'm like, man, this is awesome. I get paid to watch hockey. Yeah. I get paid to talk about the news and stuff that I'm very interested in. So yeah, I, that's when I kind of decided on the journalism program at SAIT and I got in there and I never looked back and it was just an absolutely amazing experience for me. Yeah. Um, all throughout school, I was writing online for three or four different websites, pumping out tons and tons of content and that's really how everything kind of evolved for me. And then really the catalyst for my career, I think, um, was getting the opportunity to go up to the Memorial Cup last year um, through the grapevine. I, I know the, the commissioner of the WHL and he was able to help me out and get me media credentials. And that's when I was kind of like, awesome. holy crap, this is yeah. this is for real now. Well, the Memorial Cup is an event where, like, and I was there and I saw you guys there. Yeah. Um, like, it's the media centers. It's it's not, I don't want to say, like, on, like, Olympic proportions probably. Yeah. But for a junior hockey tournament, it's that's huge. It's huge. And you have guys, you know, sports nets over in one corner. And then you have all these writers from across Canada and probably from some from the, uh, the states as well, all there covering one single event. And yeah. It's got to be pretty overwhelming to be able to uh, to be kind of, you know, rubbing shoulders with those guys, right? Oh, it totally was. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to meet Jeff Merrick there. Yeah. Um, and Jeff's been somebody that I've looked up to my whole uh, life through this career, I guess. I think Jeff's just a fantastic podcast host. I think he's a great guy on the panel. Uh, I love the work he does. I love him on Twitter and everything. And yeah, I, I said, hey man, I want to like chat with you at some point. And him and I got talking and that was really cool. And I met guys like Gene Principe from Sportsnet. He's and, a legend. Oh, just... And Especially blew, if you're, as an Oilers fan. Oh man, totally. It just blew my socks off. Because I just wanted to say, hi Gene, my name's Zach, pleasure to meet you sort of thing. And Gene and I ended up chatting for like 45 minutes during one of the games. Wow. We sat downstairs in the media area and he's like, so tell me everything about you. Like, I want to know about you and your career and yeah. what you're doing, you know? And I think being 20 years old and being at the Memorial Cup was something that I was really grateful for. I looked around and I didn't see anybody else my age. Right. You know, I, I didn't see a lot of 20-year-olds there writing about the Memorial Cup. So for myself, I think it was a great experience. And then that ended up getting me the job in Banff last summer which ended up getting me the job with the Canmore Eagles, which ended up getting me the job with the Nation Network, yeah. which has now ended up getting me the job with the Airdrie Echo. It all, it all, it all pays itself forward, right? Yeah, it's huge. Oh, totally, in, in nine or ten months. Yeah, you know, it's my a roller coaster. It, it has been. It's been an absolute roller coaster. <laughs> it's funny you talk about you know working in those shitty jobs at the beginning because you know because I went through the exact same thing. Yeah. You know where I am now in my career at you know younger age. Um, you know you're able to really look back and go or when you're in those jobs and I worked in restaurants I worked in factories call centers 
Oh, uh, what else did I do? You know, just just jobs that were just not fun. <laughs> and I realized, you know, I had an opportunity. When I had the opportunity to move out here for this job, it was, you know, looking at it like, okay, I never want to do those jobs again. I'm going to do everything in my power to make this work. And, and, you know, that, I think you kind of probably went through the same thing where you just, you're in the middle of, you know, cooking something in a restaurant or, or um, you're taking someone's really unpleasant phone call in the call center mm-hmm. and you realize there's got to be something better than this, right? I, I kind of went through that recently, actually. Um, last September when my internship ended, I went back to school at State for Radio Broadcasting and it was a real struggle for me because I thought it was um, going to open up some more doors for myself down the road and I thought it would be good because I thought it would be cool to have my own radio show one day. So I thought it would be a good experience. And for four months, it was it was very difficult for me to stay interested and stay intrigued. Um, I often found myself being more interested in writing articles while I was sitting in class or reading up on analytics or reading up on sports or whatever the case was. Right. I just wasn't – I didn't feel like I was invested in it. Semester two started up in January. I was literally in class for three days before I said, man, you know what? F this. I'm done. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm, I'm done. You yeah. know, I battled with myself for months saying, oh, it's a two-year program. Get in, get out sort of deal. Um, but it ended up being the best decision I made because now six weeks after I withdrew, I, I got a full-time job in the industry that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. And so when I withdrew, I was like, okay, well... I need a job. Like I need to do something to pay some bills in the right. meantime. And I took a job at a Dairy Queen five minutes from my house where I've worked for the last six weeks. And it just first ever job working at like a restaurant or like in the food industry. And man, I'm never, ever, <laughs> ever going back. Yeah. Like I got to call my boss and tell him that I quit this week and it just felt great because great. I was like I know I'm never going to have to do this again, well, you know, or if I ever have to do this, like I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find something else that yeah. can go back to the golf course, <laughs> whatever the case may be. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it, it's interesting in that aspect where, you know, that feeling of being able to kind of let go of, or taking that, taking that jump, mm-hmm. you know, taking that jump of, you know, what is maybe safe, Whereas you go into a, an industry like yourself where, you know, journalism, you know, there's been all these layoffs in the last however many years. Yeah. And it's really a kind of a evolving um, industry. And, you know, people that have been in the industry for 30 plus years are no longer, you know, working in the industry just because of salary and whatever reason. Sure. But, you know, it, it's interesting to, to think about that, that jump, taking that jump of, okay, this is probably – a safer paycheck, but it's not what I, it's not enjoyable. It, it's essentially you're there for the paycheck, right? Exactly. And it's not what you enjoy. And it's it's interesting to talk to people about just making that kind of leap of faith of going and doing what you love and mm-hmm. going and enjoying what you do. There may be days where you're kind of like, oh yeah. It's like any job. Yeah. But and then you kind of have to you kind of have to regress and go, you know, you know, I get to do what I love. Like you got to remind yourself. I find days there's there's that for me where I've got to look, stand back and go, you know, what am I so upset about or what am I so I, I get to work in hockey. Yeah. Like, you know, what am I complaining about? No, I totally agree with that. You know, and and I look at myself as a very, I guess, self-made journalist. Despite the schooling, I found a lot of the stuff that I did was self-taught. And you know, I looked up to guys like, um, for example, uh, Steve Dangle. I mean, he was the original startup, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I mean, he doesn't really have any experience or any schooling, but sorry, 
<coughs> fighting a cold. Oh. Um, he's he was self made, and now he's one of the biggest hockey guys out there in terms of mm-hmm. you know videos and working for Sportsnet, and even a guy like Jeff Villiette, yeah. a guy for the Nation Network who writes there. Um, he has no background, and he's doing this full time, working for the Nation Network. You know, managing hockey fights and Leafs Nation and and the rest of it. And I always looked at myself and I said, "Well, what am I going to do to get myself a leg up on my competition?" Well, I wrote online for free for five years. Yeah. I wrote thousands of articles about just nonsense that, and half of them didn't get more than a hundred to two hundred hits. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, that's the experience that I got that's going to propel me forward. A couple of years ago. Bob McKenzie had tweeted out one day and he's like, Hey, you know, I'm late, you know, flights running late or something like that. If you have any questions, let me know. And so I was like, Oh, you know what? What the heck? I'll send him a tweet. And I asked him, I said, Bob, what kind of advice would you give an aspiring and sports journalist? And he replied to me and he said, he said, grind. If you're good, you're going to get anywhere. And if not, well, you know, maybe it's not for you sort of thing. And I've always held that really near and dear, even on my Twitter bio, mm-hmm. uh, I got the word grinder on there because that's how I look at myself. I mean, yeah. I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to advance in this industry and I've got my sight sets for the top. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's really cool. Well, I, I really am glad for what I do. Really kind of explain that, you know, and that was something I wanted to chat about was yeah. embracing the grind. And, and for you, what does the grind, what does the grind mean? Because I think the grind has a, to grind it, you know, obviously what the dictionary term is, but I think when it comes to people trying to achieve something, you know, it, it kind of has its linear, but for you in, in, in journalism, what does the grind mean for you? Like what is, you know, is it just getting up every day and making sure you write however many articles a day or, you know, what's what's your your definition of the grind or grind? That's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, I think for myself, the grind for me is knowing what it takes to get to where I want to be. Knowing that, yeah, I'm going to wake up. There's going to be days where I don't feel like writing two or three articles today or days where maybe I don't feel like watching that hockey game for whatever reason. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but, you know, there's going to be days where it's going to be tough. And and for me, knowing that, you know, working through every single day, writing every article, you know, reaching out to people, doing interviews, talking to people in the industry, going to hockey games in Calgary, that for me is the grind. Mm-hmm. Of just the everyday relentlessness of knowing that it's a seven-day-a-week job. You know, there's going to be days where you don't get days off. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't give it up for the world because I'm doing what I love. And for myself, I know that if I continue to work the way I have and continue on the path that I'm on, that I'm going to get to where I want to be one day. And I think that's something that's very important for um, people who are breaking into this industry to know is that, you know, things aren't just going to be handed to you. You know, if you want something in this world, go get it. The only person stopping you is yourself. That's relevant in any any, any facet of life, right? In any facet of life, especially yeah. in an industry like this, especially with it changing so much on a day-to-day basis. When people say, you know, the print industry is dying, yes, it is. But at the same time, it's really just evolving. Mm-hmm. It's taking on a new life form in the way news is produced and created and contents put out there. Yeah. You know, with Twitter and Instagram and social media and Facebook and and the way everything's kind of transitioned to that online world, it's yeah. uh, you got to know that you got to work hard to get to wherever you want to be. Exactly. Well, I'll get you to touch on like the state of journalism again as someone being that's relatively new in the industry. Mm-hmm. Just you know, when you look at some of the guys you look up to, um, 
just kind of, you know, where is journalism at? And like you said, I think we've got a good idea. It's evolving. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then how does social media play into that? And how do you use social media in order to elevate your, not your brand, but your your presence out there as a, as a writer? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that um, the, the addition of Twitter and social media has completely changed the industry. Completely, because you can write 140 characters down, and you can release it. So the second you see, you know, you see so many guys like even now, like, you know, we'll keep it in the hockey industry, but like Elliot Friedman, Bob McKenzie, Darren Drager, Pierre LeBrun, Craig Cousins, all the insiders and stuff like that. The second they hear something, it's tweeted out there. It beats out the days of the old print where I was like, oh, you got the information. Well. Well, let's yep. write the story and it's it'll be printed a tomorrow morning. Yeah. It's going to be wait a day. Yeah. Now you don't even have to wait five seconds. Yeah. You know, the accessibility of news is, I think, what has changed the industry the most. And especially having it so accessible with social media, I think that's what it is. I mean, people can write a thread of tweets, of five or six tweets. There's your story. Yeah. It doesn't even need to go online anymore. You know, granted, it still does because that's where revenues generated, generated in ads and et cetera, et cetera. But in theory, you don't even need these websites anymore. You don't even need to have a paper website. You know, I mean, they still do because a lot of people don't pick up the paper copies anymore. Mm-hmm. That's where they go to get their news. Right. So I think in that way, it's definitely evolving and changing. And and honestly, I have no idea where the industry is going to head to next. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't understand how... The industry can change more than it has already in terms of like the evolution of, of print to online. I just don't really see there being another way for the industry to change. I mean, it, it's going to change internally. There's always going to be new ways to produce news, to release news and stuff like that. But I feel like where we're at in 2017, it's sort of um, starting to ground out a little bit. And we're starting to really see what social media can do and in the news industry, you right. know. If, if there's a school shooting for god forbid mm-hmm. in the states or in canada or wherever it is you know you've got students that are tweeting out what's happening yeah you know you've got and that's where news comes from yeah. you know it's not even like these these are you know vetted sources or vetted sources or anything yeah. like that this is just a student for example again god forbid this horrible situation happening but that's where the news is coming from because it's that student that's in that classroom who's trapped waiting to get out mm-hmm. that tweets out and says oh i'm okay we have no idea what's going on. You know, we see guys running around with guns. Yeah. Right. That's that's how it goes. Right. Whereas in the sports industry, you know, you're not gonna. You know, there's of course all these Twitter accounts of like, oh, they're breaking news. Yeah. The, the bot Shattenkirk is going to the Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. or whatever. Right. But none of that's verifiable. Yeah. You know, like yeah, okay, they may say they have their sources or whatever, but did Shattenkirk go to the Leafs? No, he didn't. Went to the Washington Capitals. Nobody saw that one coming. Yeah. Not even the high up, like not even the McKenzie's of the world. Yeah. You know, so I think it's uh, really interesting the way the industry's changed and the way that news is and is quickly changed. And quickly it's changed. been like an overnight. Thing. I remember it was probably in high school, and there was a trade, and I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Chris Chris Stewart being traded from some oh yeah. From call or uh, from St. Louis to Colorado, I think, and then there's the, the trade that sent Eric Johnson to St. Louis, or they, they were involved in the trade, but it broke at like 2:30 in the morning. Yeah. And I remember I was at a friend's house and we were up all night as you do in high school. I uh, can't couldn't do that now. There's that's impossible. Um, but 
and I saw this, you know, Bob McKenzie tweeted out this trade at 2.30 in the morning. And that was the kind of the, the light bulb moment or the, the come-to moment where I went, holy. That, you know, like it was, and now looking back on it, that was kind of when you saw that. It was kind of that big, that the turn, the big wave started to come where, for like, sure. you just go to Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't wait for a newspaper. Um, you don't wait to go check some online article. It was just some tweet at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. And it still managed to be huge news, right? Totally. So it, it was interesting to see that and be be able to be a part of that kind of that that curve where everything is changing, right? I remember for myself, I got Twitter in July on July first, two thousand nine. I remember the day like no other, because it was free agency day. It was also Canada Day, and my family wanted to go out and see a movie in the middle of the afternoon. And I'm like, guys, why? Hockey, yeah. free yeah. agent frenzy. Like, yeah. what's going National on? National holiday. What are you doing? Exactly. And it's not because it's Canada Day, <laughs> of course. Yeah. And that was the first time where I even ever heard of Twitter. Right. Was I was watching TSN and they had. You know, Bob McKenzie up there, and it said, at TSN Bob McKenzie, follow him on Twitter. I was like, wait, what? What's this Twitter thing? Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to look into this, right? So I remember downloading Twitter. I remember leaving the house, just creating my Twitter account. And when we were driving to the movie theater, uh, no, sorry, actually, went to the movie theater. The movie finished. We got out. And that's when we found out that Danny Healy might be getting traded to the Edmonton Oilers. Right. And I found that out through Twitter, through yeah. Bob McKenzie or one of the six people I followed at the time. Yeah. But that for me was like kind of my light bulb moment of like, whoa, yeah, wait is, a second. This has changed. This has changed the game. Yeah. And I mean, I've been, I got thousands and tens of thousands of tweets and I've been on Twitter forever because I love it. I think it's so cool how easily accessible it is. I mean, I've met lifelong friends from Twitter. Oh, yeah. You know, they say, don't talk to strangers from the internet. <laughs> but it's it's crazy how how it's connected the world in so many ways, even beyond the sports industry. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely changed the, the sports industry and the journalism game forever. Yeah, well, and it's funny you talk about the connection that you can make through Twitter. Is, you know, there's several people that through Twitter I was able to meet, you know, our mutual friends then and, yeah. you know, I was a, I, I was back in Ontario and working for Future Considerations at the time and and so we just knew each other via Twitter right and the only reason I connected with him was because you know he DM'd me when I moved to Calgary and he goes hey like let's let's meet up or let's meet at a game or whatever right yeah and Jeff Merrick was like another example I had never met Jeff before yeah and then I was able to connect on on social media with him and mm-hmm. you know we I wouldn't say we're great friends but. You know, we've we've been able to connect through this crazy platform, right? That, totally. You know, forty years or not even 10, 15 years ago didn't exist, right? I know. It's I, it's kind of scary at the same time, but it totally is. You know, and and like you said at the beginning, so who were the guys that you looked up to? I know you mentioned Jeff was one of those guys. Who are the guys that you looked up to maybe very early on, like early on, and maybe even before you started into journalism? And who are the guys now that you kind of look at and go like, oh, I want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to copy him, but I want to emulate kind of his persona or how he does things or things like that. Who are like who are some of those guys that you look up to? Well, for me, it's it's been Bob McKenzie through and through. Um, for me, he's everything that I want to be in this industry, and I think he's even changed the way he's acted as a hockey insider and a sports reporter. You see him now a lot more. Um, Open on Twitter, joking a lot more, mm. replying to more people. It's not just up. business anymore. It's not just business anymore. Yeah. You know, you see him in the summertime. It's Bobby Bartolo or Bobby Margarita or whatever the case is. And I think that's something that's really interesting 
uh, for me, and obviously him, you know, he's in his 60s. He's been doing this for 40 years. And it took him 30 before he got to working at TSN as the true hockey insider. Mm-hmm. But he took a very beaten path his whole way. I mean, you know, he used to work in Sarnia as a sports reporter, which turned into the job at the Hockey News as an editor, which turned into et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, his advice for me of grinding just stuck with me forever. And when I got to the Mem Cup last year, it was such a surreal experience for me that I went and I found that old tweet of his and I said, wow, you know, like looking back at this, and I quote tweeted, I was like, wow, like looking back at this now, this is what's helped me get to the Mem Cup this year. Mm-hmm. And he followed me yeah. and he still follows me. It's, it's and funny. It's funny how such a small, small thing can mean so much, right? Totally. And like that for me is like a reminder of like, okay, like like it, it's that sort of reassurance for me mm-hmm. of like, okay, I got a guy like him noticing me. That must mean that I'm doing something right. So right. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep, you know, working my ass off every day and, and writing as much content as I can and stuff like that. Because I know a guy like him is seeing that and mm-hmm. that's who else would you want to see or work besides the, the best of the best yeah, out the there. The godfather of uh, or sports or hockey journalism. Totally. I think, I think that's, that's where I want to be in my future is I want to be the next Bob McKenzie and I'm you know do whatever it takes to get there. And I'm yeah. confident that one day, decades <laughs> down the road, that's going to be me. We're sitting here, well, not maybe here, but just having the same conversation 30 years from now. And, you know, maybe you are the, the next Bob McKenzie or, or, you know, even there's so many of these guys, right? Like Elliot yeah. Friedman and Craig Custance and Kipper and all those guys, right? Chris Johnson, another great one too. Oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. So to and you're wearing the Oilers Nation hat. Yeah. Um, let's chat about because we are in Calgary, we are in Alberta. First off, the state of both these teams, and and then all, and then the just the battle of Alberta in general, and how much that means for people. You know, I'm not from here. I'm not originally from here, but so I don't. I didn't understand it right away. Right. The, the, the kind of the. Um, the battle in between Calgary and Edmonton until, and I was actually, I was driving to Edmonton when I realized that I went, one, I hate driving up here, and two, you, just the switch, like I turned on the AM radio and as I was just getting close to Edmonton, and it just how much the tone changes of, you know, here it's all Flame Central, it's everything like that, and then there it's just Oilers, 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 right? It's crazy. Um, I, before I get into the Battle of Alberta and those two teams, I was born in a little town called St. Albert. It's yeah. just about 15 minutes north of Edmonton. Home of the John Reed tournament every yeah. year. I'm up there every year. And home of Mark Messier yeah. and, and amongst a couple of other Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I was born there and then I moved down to Calgary with my family when I was a, a wee young baby. Um, so my mom could be close to her family. She's a Calgarian. Dad's an Edmontonian. And um, yeah, so I grew up in Calgary my whole life Mm -hmm. and um before i was even an oilers fan i was actually a calgary flames fan when they made their cup run in 04 i didn't have an allegiance i didn't watch hockey so i thought hey what the hell you know i'm gonna take my mom's old flames jersey and and i i'm pretty sure that's when my dad started to go gray (laughs) uh seeing me wearing flames gear yeah um and then it wasn't until the 0506 season when i became an edmonton oilers fan 10 years old at the time my dad finally stayed, let me stay up to watch like eight o'clock puck drops, which is when the majority of the Oilers games were at the yeah. time. And I fell in love with that 0506 team, not really understanding hockey or anything like that. But, you know, obviously we made the big cup run that year and I just fell in love with the team and been a devoted fan ever since. And, you know, it was funny growing up as an Oilers fan in Calgary, especially from 
you know, the age of 10 and onwards, I never knew any other Oilers fans. I was the only Oilers fan. I mean, I actually got bullied in grade school yeah. for being an Oilers this fan. This is not the place to be an no, Oilers fan. No, not. <laughs> and it was traumatic for me. Yeah. And, you know, um, I always grew up being like, I hate the Flames. I hate Calgary so much. Yeah. Like, I'm an Oilers fan. Like, like, no shame in it. And then... I actually, a couple of years ago, I worked for the Calgary Flames. I worked as an usher at the Saddle Dome. And that's when things kind of changed for me from being like, okay, yeah, I hate the Flames. To being like, you know what? I can tolerate the Flames. Yeah. And, you know, now it's like I don't even have like a hatred of the Flames anymore. I just want to see good hockey in Alberta. Yeah. Obviously, writing on the Nation Network, I have to be very neutral in my opinions, given the fact that I am presenting news only. Mm-hmm. Um, I maybe maybe put my opinion into like one article I've ever done for the network. And, um, you know, it's just not my role there. And I'm totally okay with that because I love writing news. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, having Flames Nation on there too. If I'm writing an article for Flames Nation, I have to write it for Flames Nation, for Flames fans. I have to be a Flames fan for that right. day. Yeah. Um, I think it's really exciting, the state of hockey in Alberta. You know, obviously the Flames um, have had their struggles over the years like the Oilers have had. Maybe not to the same extent, but for me – um, I think it's exciting just to see good hockey here again. I mean, obviously the Flames coming off that 10-game win streak has put them right back into the race with Edmonton. And who knows? I, I, I hope we can see a battle of Alberta in the playoffs because I think that's what it needs to really reignite that sort of rivalry. Yeah. You know, you look back to the 80s. I mean, we played Calgary a ton in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's when it was the true battle of Alberta, the true hatred between these two teams. Um Obviously, hockey's a, a less physical sport in some ways than it was in the 80s, obviously. Yeah. You don't have the tons of fighting, and you don't have the crazy antics anymore or anything like that. But, I mean, I think it's just exciting to have good hockey back here now. I mean, of course, being an Oilers fan, having Connor McDavid is... <laughs> woo! It helps. It is something it else, yeah. to say the least. I mean, it's just incredible how much he's lifted this team. Yeah. Um, you know, I even look at the Oilers and, and say, you know like a move like the Hall for Larson deal last offseason, that one really tore at me because I was a huge Taylor Hall fan for a number of years. But, you know, it was in my personal belief and some things that I've heard that Hall wasn't necessarily the best player off the ice, the best person off the ice. I think that it impacted his teammates at the time and stuff like that. And, you know, the decision to move him for Larson was a tough one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially given now hearing that there was like, a hall for Shattenkirk that could have happened. But at the same time, Adam Larson's come in and just been a awesome defenseman. Mm-hmm. He's been everything the Oilers' defense has lacked for a long time. Yeah. You know, Larson's a big, strong, stay-at-home defenseman who can play top-pairing minutes and succeed. He's a workhorse. Yeah. He's a grinder. Yeah. He, you know, he may not put up all the points, but at the same time, I think the things he does go unnoticed. I mean, even defensively in his own zone, the small plays along the boards to chip a puck by a player to get it to his winger to makes that stretch pass up. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets the fourth assist on the, on the goal, yeah. but if he didn't make that small play in his own zone to chip that puck out, yeah. that play would have never even happened on the ice. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing that I find so interesting about defensemen is it's almost in a way I find difficult to quantify a defenseman's values. You know, especially you look at a guy like... Like Chris Russell, mm-hmm. you know, I mean... Very uh, much, very much maligned by the analytics community. Very much, <laughs> and not even just in his time in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Even back in Calgary, you know, 
I'm so torn on Chris Russell as a hockey player because the eye test is like, oh, Chris Russell is great. But then you start to look at the numbers and you're like, holy crap, like this is a bit of a tire fire at times. Right? But it's the same thing with Russell. I think he does a lot of good things, like a lot of good small things. That's what makes him an effective and a valuable player. He gets down and blocks shots like a madman, you know. He shouldn't have to have defensemen blocking shots in the first place because that's what the goaltender's for. But at the same time, you know. It's uh, it's definitely a value trade by everybody in the NHL, so I guess we have to hold some sort of a value to it, even though it may not be in our beliefs. Yeah. You know, I think it's going to be interesting. I just hope we have some more good hockey here for years to come. Yeah, and it's funny you talk about that trade because it was a very, you know, very controversial, you know, moving in a player like Taylor Hall, but it was interesting, you know, for the the Oilers to take that next step. That's what they needed to do. It was talked about for however many years. We got to move it forward. We got to move it forward in order to get a defenseman. Uh, or we got to move it. Def- we need to, we need defense. We need defensive help. Yeah. And you have all these glut of forwards, skilled forwards, guys like Dreisaitl and Hall and Aberle and Nugent Hopkins and the list goes on. And you know, for a long time people didn't realize we have to give you have to in a trade, you have to give up something in order to get something. You know, it's like, yep. it's in life. Anytime you barter, you're gonna have to give something up valuable in order to get something back valuable. And you know, when they traded for Larson, for me, I was, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not, particular, I don't have a fan affinity at all, but you know, it made total sense. That's exactly what they needed. I think that's what they tried to do with like yeah, like Andrew fans. They wanted yeah. him to come in and kind of be that that presence. Yeah. But Adam Larson's 24. That's and, a big difference. And <laughs> Ferentz was 31 or 32 when we brought him in. Yeah. You know, so definitely, and, and that's the beauty of it. And I think at the same time, too, you look at Larson, like he's on a $4.1 million contract for like the next four or five years. That's pretty like, cheap. And, and, and even with Oscar Kleffbaum, he's on a sim, like almost the exact same deal. You know, to have Kleffbaum and Larson as your top pairing locked up for $8.2 million for the next four or five years is pretty sweet. Yeah, well, considering some defensemen just get that along, $8 million, mm-hmm. right? So... No, it's it's interesting, and in my first the first time I really saw the the not the Battle of Alberta, but how much hockey means in both cities was first was when I kind of I think it was the first year I lived here was when the Flames I think it was Johnny Gaudreau's rookie season, and I went down to the Saddle Dome where I was going to meet some friends after it, and they just won in overtime, and I was following along on Twitter, funny enough, uh, taking the train downtown, and as I was getting in kind of around Stampede Park there, you saw just everybody coming out and everybody's going wild. And then you go down to the, the Red Mile and it's packed. Like you can't, you're shoulder to shoulder with everybody, right? And then Edmonton, I was at the new arena this, or a couple months ago. And, you know, you see the fan base and how passionate they are. And that's how you really get a true taste of how much hockey means in Alberta. And I guess you get that across Canada. You know, Toronto is a little... It's an interesting market just because you do have a lot of corporate fans there, if you want to mm-hmm. call them that. But, you know, just see that just the fans coming out of out of the saddle dome and just going berserk oh, was wow. that true testament of how, how, how passionate these fan bases are. And, you know, just because they there are there are smaller cities, right? Mm-hmm. They kind of have that Western, um, you know, we're not uh, the... You know, because Toronto has this ideal about themselves and Western Canada has this, oh, we hate Toronto type of feel, right? So it was interesting to see that that dynamic where yeah. everybody's just so proud, right? Oh, totally. And it's like that bird of mentality so many people yeah. have here of being proud and, 
in what we do as a province, whether it's in our agriculture business or our oil and gas industry. You know, Albertans wear their heart on their sleeves, mm-hmm. and they wear their heart on the sleeves when it comes to hockey, just as well as anything else in life. What uh, and we kind of spoke, you kind of spoke about the, how the game has changed. What are your thoughts on today's NHL, both on the ice and off the ice, in terms of on the ice, obviously the style of play, but off the ice, you know, we are in the Southern Belt markets that are doing very well for the most part, um, and you know, we've had LA win a few Stanley Cups in the last few years, and and Anaheim is so successful, and San Jose is so successful, and even for the you know their lack the stuff off the ice for Arizona, you know, they still have you know, they're still relevant, right? Yeah. And or Florida, things like that, right? Just kind of your thoughts on the ice, off the ice, where the NHL is now. Well, on the ice, I think the game's evolved to a point where a lot of people can enjoy it. You know, for years now, people have said, oh, there's not enough scoring in the league, not enough scoring in the league. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think what's happening is we're seeing the best overall talent pool that I think this league is, is, has seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. When you look at parity in the league, you know, yeah, you still have your teams that are bottom dwellers and that happens right i've been a fan of a bottom dweller team for 10 years now um well longer than that now um i think it's interesting i love the way the game's played now i think it's as as safe as it's ever been for players i still think there's a lot of work that the league needs to do um in terms of their player safety protocols the way they handle these situations the way they levy suspensions um, I think there's a lot of work to be done, but at the same time, there's always been a lot of work to be done when it comes to a professional sports industry. Um, I think off the ice, I think it's also as exciting as it's ever been. I love Gary Bettman, and not a lot of people can say that. Yeah. Despite the fact that he's caused a couple of lockouts and everything like that. You look at the growth that Gary Bettman has done for this league, and it's been incredible. Mm-hmm. He, as you mentioned, he brought in the belt, like some of the southern teams, Tampa, Florida, um, Anaheim. You know, now we're seeing a team in Las Vegas, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, I think if that doesn't speak to where the NHL is at as a whole, I don't know what does. Mm-hmm. I think having 31 teams in the league now is going to be incredibly exciting. And I think it's going to be a lot to see what happens. And with this expansion draft coming up and, and the rest of it, and I, I think the sky's the limit for this league. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned Gary um, because I had I you know had a, a friendship with uh, with one of the owners in the NHL and um, he's based out of here in Calgary, lives here in Calgary, and you know we had ch- we started getting chatting about you know kind of league and Gary and whatnot, and you know he brought up that. Nobody really likes Gary, yeah. but everybody loves Gary. Yeah. Because especially in the ownership group, ownership groups, because Gary has made them a ton of money. And, oh yeah. And you know, you might not like him because he's a little snarky, he's mm-hmm. kind of a little sarcastic, but at the same time, he's gotten the job done. And you know, even in the and the funny part about those southern markets, you know, their your Dallas's, your um, Florida's, your Tampa's, you know, whatever, wherever it is, uh, in the California teams, um, you look at what they've been able to do on the minor hockey side. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting to see, as myself, watches a lot of, have, have watched a lot of Phantom hockey and minor hockey. You know, you're starting to see up the John Reed tournament. You see teams from Arizona, you see teams from Dallas coming up now, and you see teams from all, you know, all three California t- teams, yeah, or California areas, I should say. And they're successful, and they're putting players to the next level. Mm-hmm. And that was that was all Gary Bettman. You know, that was Gary Bettman's plan. To, you know, when he's when those uh, teams went down there, he said, 
part of the deal is you have to invest in local minor hockey yeah. and develop it. And we saw it last year with St. like a place like St. Louis. Like there was what five players or so drafted in the first round that were from St. Louis, mm-hmm. products of one St. Louis minor hockey team. That's huge. You've never, never seen that before, right? I mean, you know, a couple things. Calling AJHL games this year, um, obviously taking a look at player sheets. We did a lot of research into where the players are from and where they came from. We saw a lot of kids coming up from the United States, and I saw kids coming up from Cali. I was like, wow, this kid's played like this guy's played his junior minor hockey in Cali, and he's up here, you know, in the AJHL. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think at the same time, you look Austin Matthews. Yeah. Right. It's the exact same thing. It's a product of Arizona's minor hockey systems, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just so cool to see it really impacting the game now. And I think it's cool to think about how it's going to impact the game years down the road too. Yeah. You know, the continuation of this process of pumping out hockey, minor hockey players. Next to, is Vegas. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and before I, I ask you about Vegas, um, it's interesting because the the I think it was the Air or no the Phoenix Junior Coyotes they won their I think it's their 04 group or their 03 group won the Quebec uh, Pee Wee tournament which very is good. a very heralded uh, minor hockey tournament right and a team from Arizona won that tournament yeah like that's huge no kidding and that that's the next wave you know Austin and Austin's gonna inspire another group of kids that are you know three or four years old right now they're gonna mm. see this kid playing in Toronto, the biggest market in the, in the NHL, yeah. they're going to say, well, I want to be like him, yeah. right? And so it, it's interesting. We'll get to, to Vegas. What are your thoughts? You know, we haven't gotten there yet. It's still very fresh. Uh, we have the expansion draft coming up in June, and now they can actually start making moves. What's your what's your thoughts on Vegas? Success? Not a success? Or, or are you leaning? Well, I think obviously you got to wait and see until yeah. they actually play before you can really say <laughs> success or not a success. I think up until this point, it's been a successful venture for the NHL. Um, I think the big thing that the NHL's got to remember with this is that, yeah, they're a big sports business, but at the same time, they're in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Um, they're here to entertain fans. You know, even hearing that they might not air an expansion draft on TV or they may not release the lists of the protected players, to me, is just totally uh, bass backwards in terms of how they view the way they handle these situations. You know, if it's me, I'm thinking, how could you not want to do this? How could you not want to turn this into a televised event? How many millions of hockey fans are going to tune into this? You know, even with the protected lists, maybe it's selfish because I'm in the media business, but I want to be able to see who these teams are protecting. Mm -hmm. Because I think it talks a lot to, like, where the teams are at or where they view their teams, where they view their teams going. Being an Oilers fan, I would hate to not be able to see who the Oilers protected. Right. I think at the end of the day, the information could still all come out. You know, you got the insiders. That's what their job is, is to be able to release that information that not everybody else can get, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. I think it's going to be a success. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of a team Vegas produces in year one. I think the way the expansion draft is set up is so that they're going to get a good team right out of the gates. Mm-hmm. May not be a great team, but they'll compete. They'll compete. Yeah. They may not be a playoff team in the first year or two, but they'll, I think, at least be able to at least field a good team on the ice and something that'll be enjoyable for fans to be able to watch and and take in. You know. What do you What do you think about the actual t- like actual being in Vegas? 
you know, because it's such a Sin City. Yeah, it's such a fantasized city, right? You know, what stays in Vegas or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and you know, it's a Sin City. Like, what are your thoughts on Vegas? And and maybe there's a lot of the same. There's a lot of the same storylines. They're not storylines, but a lot of contrast to when the NHL went to Los or Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's it, there's not they're not the same cities, but they're similar in the sense of you know Los Angeles. It's Hollywood, right? Yeah. I think what's what's your thoughts on being actually in Vegas? One of my closest friends has a lot of family that lives in Vegas, and I got to meet them that side of his family a couple of year a year or two ago. They all came up to Calgary, and I talked to them about that. I was like, "What is what is it like to live in Vegas?" And they said. It's the same as any other city, except for one stretch of road mm-hmm. or two stretches of road, you know, where you've got all the casinos and the hotels and the clubs and everything like that. But beyond that, I just look at it as any other regular city. At the end of the day, the, the players that are going there are professionals. Yeah. They have to act as professionals. Yeah. They can't be out there partying. They can't be out there being crazy. And you can party in any city. <laughs> you can party in any city. You're an NHL player, yeah. for God's yeah. sake. You know, visiting teams, that's going to be another story. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how teams handle that. Mm-hmm. I doubt any team is going to get a day off in Vegas. <laughs> I doubt any team is going to be in Vegas for more than a day, Yeah. no matter what, because I doubt that teams are going to want to take a risk of players going out and partying or whatever. I mean, it's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. But especially with a place like Vegas, it's so enticing for mm-hmm. these young athletes, right? Yeah. It'd be interesting if they stay off, stay on the strip or they stay off the strip. Because I'm, I don't know exactly where the arena is located. Is it right on the strip or is it kind of like it's close, isn't it? I think it's close, but I think it's, I don't think it's on the strip. Yeah. Well, they might have security guards waiting outside <laughs> of the hotel, the hotel just make sure that you know, none of the guys are sneaking out. Very well could be. <laughs> so what's, you know, and I'll get you out on this. What's, what's next for... For you, what's next for Zach Lyon? What's what's next? Grind. <laughs> Just gonna keep grinding, man. Yeah. And if I'm good, I'll get anywhere. And if not, well, no, man. I mean, I, I officially start my full time role with the Echo on Monday. Awesome. Um, so obviously that's gonna be the biggest thing for me. I'm gonna be moving out soon with my girlfriend. We're gonna try and find a place, you know, in the north end of Calgary or out in Airdrie, um, something like that. I'm gonna keep working with the Nation Network. We got some really exciting things happening there. Uh, just recently, we changed over all of our website layouts, so uh, we went completely mobile-friendly, and it just looks like a beautiful, beautiful website. Awesome. Uh, Nation Network's projected at um, a lot of views this year, awesome. a lot of a lot of content, a lot of big things coming there. I'm excited to see how my role is going to continue to grow and change with them and evolve, given the um, new job I've picked up in Airdrie. But yeah, just going to keep doing my thing and keep writing about hockey and keep writing about the news and enjoying what I do. And the path to being the next Bob McKenzie continues. Exactly. He's awesome. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me.